Well, 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 episode four, moving right along. Remember when I told you I wasn't going to get stressed about getting this show out every week to start? Well, four weeks in a row, siblings. Look at the good I do. I don't know about you, but in my experience, I'll just need to grease things up and get it going. And then, bam, a river runs through it. That was a 90s movie, by the way, with Brad Pitt and Tom Skerritt. Brad Pitt with long-ass hair fly fishing is really the only Brad Pitt that exists within my world. Anyhow, on today's episode, the fabulous Curran Nolt and PJ Raval of Outsider Festival in Austin, Texas are getting swept up into the chaos. Outsider Festival is a transmedia nonprofit that celebrates the bold originality and creative nonconformity of the LGBTQ communities through a presentation of provocative, overlooked, and out-of-the-box film, dance, theater, performance art, music, writing, and visual art. Woo! They do it all. In addition to being visionaries behind Outsider, Kern is a curator, scholar, and author of Queercore, queer punk media subculture. And PJ is a producer and award-winning filmmaker whose documentaries include Before You Know It and Caller Gonda. And Outsider Festival is currently accepting submissions from queer and trans makers for the February 2022 festival. I'm very grateful to have made performance work for two outsiders, and the experience was absolutely magical. So check out the submission call at outsiderfest.org and on the Instagrams at outsiderfest. After Kern and PJ, I have a conversation with the fabulous photographer and trombone tootin' Instagram clown Rachel Britton, whose photography series Dysmorphia caught my eye while I was trolling social media. Rachel is a non-binary photographer and artist based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, whose work has appeared in Billboard, Horrid, Broccoli, and Paraphilia Magazine. One last thing before we dive into the deep end. Let me know you love the queer chaos with a follow on Instagram at QueerChaosPod. Sharing the show on your socials and what really gets me going is a review on Apple Podcasts and a follow of the show wherever you get your pods. Reviews on Apple help others find the show by doing something funky and weird with the algorithms that I will not attempt to understand here. Lastly, I'm looking for your queer stories of failure. One of the things we're pushing against on this show is the dominant cultural idea of success. Queer chaos rallies around those queer attempts that didn't quite work out the way we intended. So check out the prompt at the end of this episode for more information and send me those stories of things that didn't work out to queerchaospodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to the chaos. I'm 
Karen Alt. I'm the artistic director of Outsider, the Queerdo Transmedia Arts Festival in Austin, Texas. I'm Pija Raval. Um, I am uh, the board president of Outsider, one of the co-founders. I'm also a um, queer filmmaker based in Austin, Texas. And you're both in Austin right now. We are, yes. Different rooms. In separate rooms in our same house. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> it's very it's very European relationship. <laughs> wasn't that the thing of <laughs> wasn't that the thing with Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton is that they live like in adjacent houses? It was like separated yeah. by a moat, a moat or something. Yeah, they had like a bridge across it or something. Yes. Yeah. I really want I want that to be really true and not just an urban <laughs> legend <laughs> i can totally see it <laughs> i believe it <laughs> yeah i haven't so i haven't seen you in a hot minute um it's shit i don't remember the last time i did pull through austin must have at least been like three or four years ago i guess we've been stuck in this pandemic now for 18 months yeah. <laughs> yeah, having the slow much. roll back to life <laughs> yeah, it's been a while how is your pandemic? <laughs> I mean, right now it's we're, we're both professors at UT, so it's the dread of another semester under a pandemic that I think we're both feeling right now. Mm. It, and living in a state that our governor has banned mask mandates, so also going back to teach with no safety precautions in place is <laughs> the best feeling. So UT isn't coming up with their own sort of solutions for mask mandating. Yeah, technically, because they're a public institution, they can't disobey the governor's order, even though some of the public schools, like Austin Independent School District, just decided to defy it, right, and and say masks are required. So... Mm -hmm. UT could try to go that route, but it hasn't. Yeah, it's a lot of like, you can encourage, but you can't require. You can encourage vaccination, but you can't require or inquire if they have been. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like, uh, you know, in other regards, you would be like, yes, it's my, you know, my medical conditions are my privacy and my mm-hmm. it's my body i can do whatever i want but in this case it's obviously thinking that way is going to harm other people <laughs> you know the people surrounding so it's not quite the same yeah. logic but um you know it's crazy you know as, as a filmmaker i've been traveling quite a bit to start doing productions again you know and it's been uh-huh. yeah it's been nuts you see you know i've been able to see different parts of the country and the way that people are handling the pandemic Mm -hmm. which is definitely shifting to outside we're about to get the tens of thousands of students back to like the 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 colorado major school system so like cu boulder and all of that but they're they're requiring back proof of vaccination before you start class Mm -hmm. and they have a mask mandate for all like indoor settings yeah so there's at least that (laughs) (laughs) although it's just uh, it's just yeah (laughs) I think all of these all these major schools are just kind of burgeoning petri dishes about ready to kind of <laughs> like bubble up. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. So I want you to both um, to tell me all about Outsider for for everyone, and especially for the people that haven't heard of it. I think Outsider Festival is one of the most important queer 
performance and media festivals happening in the U.S. And I want you to um, to talk a little bit about the origin of Outsider and then just sort of describe it um, to everyone. But then I want to also talk about like producing Outsider virtually last year as Gosh, well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so maybe you could start off with the origin. Um, sure, I can start off with this story and you can throw in here too, PJ, if you'd like. Um, yeah, there's actually kind of multiple origin stories to Outsider. One is my background doing film festivals. So prior to Outsider, which started in 2013, Although our first first festival was in 2015, um, I did. I was the artistic director of several film festivals: the Austin Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, the Austin Asian American Film Festival. And my academic background is in film studies, so I have an attachment to film and film culture. But was also kind of frustrated by the limitations of the film festival format and the ways in which film festivals were becoming a little less relevant in the age of streaming services where people can access all sorts of content much more easily than they could in the past. So wanting to take my love of event creation, of curation, and kind of update it to the times, right? And the need for a festival seemed to be increasingly about intimacy, about liveness, about um, elements that weren't necessarily on the surface of the film festival. So there was that component to it, a kind of forward thinking, but there was also a kind of backwards thinking to it as well. Because at the same time uh, that Outsider was being developed in my mind, I was also finishing up my PhD at UT um, and working on my first book, which is called Queer Core. It's about the history of queer punk culture that emerged out of Toronto in the 1980s and then kind of took on a whole life of its own. So and that so book came out of your dissertation. I'm sorry, that book came out of your dissertation for your PhD? Yeah, essentially that book was my <sighs> dissertation, although greatly revised and reworked by the time it became a book and got out there in the world. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and working on that project, you know, and, and sort of researching the history of these kind of punk, weirdo, super grassroots DIY, break all the rules kinds of spaces um, that were and are in some ways kind of disappearing. I wanted to kind of bring that energy back um, and kind of do an homage to the kinds of spaces that were being created through things like Queer Core. So on the one hand, right, Outsider was inspired by wanting to think about our current moment and the limitations of like film festivals, et cetera, but then also wanting to sort of bring back that like dirty DIY fringe kind of energy that was coming out of queer culture in like the 80s and 90s. Yeah, and I think, um, <clears throat> you know, as someone who is a filmmaker, media maker, overall queer artist. Um, I think, um, you know, I place a lot of um, emphasis on festivals because I think it's also, you know, for me, it's been uh, instrumental in terms of having a platform to create work and present work in other spaces that probably it would not be championed, right? Um, 
so for me, festivals have always been uh, somewhat um, essential for queer artists, for you know any kind of um, maker who's making something that's not considered the mainstream or commercial, you know, in value. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a place where these spaces can exist, right? And there's an audience that can attend or an audience can travel to and look for and discover. So that was always something exciting. So when Curran approached um, several of us and said that, uh, you know, he was thinking about making this festival, you know, slash organization, uh, you know, nonprofit that would kind of, um, you know, put on on the festival, I think a lot of us reflected upon our own experiences um, in the kind of spaces and what are we allowed to do, what have we not been allowed to do but would like to do, um, you know, and what do we cherish from these things? And a lot of the things that we discovered is we cherish a lot of exchange, right? Like festivals have been a great place to, you know, as someone working creatively to meet other creative people and see their work mm-hmm. and then have an opportunity to sit and chat with them and be inspired by them and be near them, you know, and, and, uh, and also interact with people who maybe get to look at your work um, and speak with them in a way where that anonymity is kind of broken down and turned into like an intimacy, right? There's an intimacy that's created in these spaces that um, you don't often find elsewhere. Like it's hard to, it's hard to find intimacy when you, go to a movie theater and then you leave, you know, afterwards and not be able to have any kind of like mm-hmm. um, discourse or an outlet to even talk about, you know, what you're experiencing. So, so I think we took a lot of that into consideration when coming up with, you know, what this festival could be, right? Like what were the values behind it and what were the things that we would, um, you know, our goals and missions for it. Mm-hmm. What's the experience of locating um, both of yourselves as queer artists and makers, but like queer art, queer making, queer innovation, creativity in the landscape of Texas? Because you would maybe not think, oh, yeah, Texas. Oh, queerdos, queer performance, queer art. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the exciting things about doing Outsider in Texas is that it is outside of the coast and outside of the usual spaces, which... I think both gives a certain kind of energy to the experience, to our audiences, right? Who have not just become used to being able to access a lot of the artists that come through here. Um, So there's an appreciation, right? That I think is heightened in Texas. I moved here from San Francisco, right? Which of course is one of the, you know, the heights of like, you know, queer culture and queer people, right? And I and I love San Francisco. I love the people there. But there's also a sense, even when I was living there, that you just become so accustomed to having access to mm. all of these queer clubs and all of this queer culture and queer festivals, right? That um, you, all, you almost take it for granted. So I feel like our, our audiences don't. But then I also think there's something about Austin, right, as a liberal city, right? that's uh, a kind of an anomaly within Texas. And so it's become this kind of hub where all of the the freaks and the misfits and the weirdos have escaped to from elsewhere in Texas oftentimes. 
So it's had that underground kind of energy and that communal energy of people coming together who didn't fit in elsewhere, but then find their space here. So I think there's something very special about that that really helps inform the kind of ethos and the aesthetics of the festival too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also think, you know, when I think of queer, queerness, you know, any of these things, I also think so much of the identity, uh, you know, one half of it is so much about, you know, exploration and inquiry and things, you know, things that you can explore, the journey. But so much of it is also political resistance, you know, re- mm-hmm. you know, rebelling and reacting to um, all of these kinds of things. And for me, being situated in Texas, like this is ground zero, <laughs> you know, for a lot of things that's happening right now. And so I do think there's, it's, it's not so much that there's an importance, but there's an energy to what you're doing and seeing and watching because you can you understand the context of what this work is being made in. And I oftentimes do feel like when we are in these, you know, LGBT plus meccas, you know, Q plus meccas, that sometimes uh, that space is taken for granted, you know? And um, so I'm not saying that things are more appreciated here, but I do feel like in the context of understanding even the history of Texas, its current moment, its history, what we're doing, um, it takes on a different meaning in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that Austin has a really amazing queer legacy in terms of doing outsider, like queerdo fringe kind of art stuff. I was talking a second ago about queer punk and queer core. Like one of the original, if not the original queer punk scenes that actually predates Bruce the Bruce and G.B. Jones, who officially started the queer core movement in Toronto, was happening here in, in Austin. There was a bunch of like queer punk bands here in the early 1980s that helped inspire the quote quote unquote official queer core movement out of Toronto. And so I think there's also a way in which I hope that Outsider and I hope Austin more generally kind of decenters the narrative of where queer art is happening or where, um, you know, where the edge is, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. I, I like, I think that, you know, New York, San Francisco, places like that think of themselves as being on the edge of queer culture and being where the new stuff comes in. And, and that's true to a large extent, but Austin is also a place where um, discovery and, and new queer voices are coming to the surface. Um, and in fact, one of the things I'm most proud about in terms of Outsiders is that we've introduced several artists globally who had never performed anywhere in the United States before like, started their uh, introduction to the United States and to U.S. audiences through Outsider in, in Austin. So I think I like that we're upsetting the narrative of where queer culture is happening in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about does. I guess I'm thinking about um, does Austin still feel radical like that? And and if it does feel radical like that, is it because we st- um, Texas still has similar politics? And because I think of like queer diasporas, like once all the queers move into a city, <laughs> then it's just fucking queer. You know, there's that resistance isn't maybe as necessary anymore. And especially if it's a city that's predominantly has pretty progressive politics. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like a big question also. What is Austin right now? Um, because COVID you know, has, mm-hmm. you know, kept us at home a lot of the time, right? And has also changed Austin radically. So I don't, I don't I'm not even sure if I'm in touch 100% with what Austin looks like or is at this particular moment. But you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, Austin's been one of the fastest growing cities in the United States for several years now. Um, and a lot of people actually moving to Austin are from places like California, from LA, San Francisco, from New York, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that underground, you know, very DIY grassroots queer culture is still very much here and is still very vibrant. But now there's a kind of a layer on top of it of another, <laughs> of another, um, I guess more mainstream uh, queer culture that also exists, and they're sort of parallel to one another mm-hmm. right now. Where we just had maybe the DIY grassroots queer culture for a while. Now we have kind of both, but it hasn't disappeared. It's just kind of parallel to this other culture that has like inserted itself on top of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think people are still moving here for the culture of things, you know. Because they're not moving here for the weather. It is hot outside, <laughs> you know. It's like, you know, and and they're, you know, some people move to San Francisco because they love the beautiful weather, right? And they want to be close to this and that. I mean, a lot of you know, uh, Austin. It really is. It's in the middle, right? There's, you know, you're kind of, you know, I've heard people say like, oh, Austin, you're landlocked, right? There's not really a whole lot, um, and yeah, and it's hot here. You know, and you're right. It's like you're surrounded by a lot of areas that might be much more conservative than you're used to. So I think people are attracted to here because of the culture. And I think part of that culture is the culture of possibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of people, even though Austin is still um, rising in price and housing is, you know, like a lot of mid cities that grew rapidly. Right. In the aughts. Right. Um, I think people still feel like there is a possibility to Austin. Like, yes, I could go there and oh, start a band, you know, and no mm-hmm. one's going to laugh at me because people do that there, you know? Um, and there's not the pressure of having to be like, you know, this amazing um, New York band, you know, like you can just go and do an experiment and, you know, failure is a possibility and that's fine. Failure can be beautiful in front of <laughs> lots of people and a venue. Mm-hmm. And I definitely have been to lots of performances and things where people are trying things out. And, and as audiences, we just appreciate that they're trying things out. We're not looking, you know, we're not demanding any kind of uh, perfection or, um, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, clean, clean cut kind of, uh, perfection there right like we like the messy things we like the fact that Mm -hmm. you know it's hot and we still got to figure out what we're doing you know so i think there is something that's kind of you know your your um podcast is chaos right and so yeah so i think there's something that's kind of chaotic when you think of like i'm queer and i'm moving to texas like what does that look like yeah you know it it really messes things up in your brain and i think that's what people like about it actually Mm -hmm. you know there's no script (laughs) although there's also right there's also no denying the fact that that kind of age-old irony of yes so many people move to austin for this particular culture but in moving here then 
shut down, shut down shut the down possibilities the of some of yeah. that culture, right? You know, you, we can think about Outsider in the, the theater space that it originally was in that you performed at, John Savage Vanguard Theater is now gone. Now it's a parking lot and office mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the theater spaces that were very, um, again, grassroots DIY, creator mm-hmm. spaces are now gone. Or how's really Vortex? Actually, what was that? Is Vortex still around? Vortex, which is our, now our main space and has been for the right. past few years, is still around. And mm. it's really pretty much the last holdout of those original spaces. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So it's the, yeah. that irony of people come here for those kinds of spaces or activities or events, uh-huh. and then <laughs> they disappear because there's too many people, right? So where do they go? Where did where of those where of those smaller performance theater companies? Where where did they go? <clears throat> yeah, That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are, you know, finding new spaces, whether they be mm. temporary, you know, further out, sharing spaces. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it's become more ephemeral. Ephemeral, right? Like people don't have permanent spaces anymore but like now do pop-up things here and there or rent a a space to do something as opposed to having a permanent home mm-hmm. so that the art is still happening the you know the energy is still there but a lot of the homes are gone mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, sp- speak, speaking of physical spaces and the move away from having a physical space, I remember when the pandemic began and I was like, this is going to be revolutionary for um, like live streaming and virtual performance. And the first first bout of things that I started seeing were drag queens, mm-hmm. drag queens coming in from, um, oh shit, I forget where the one came in from. Maybe it was LA. I don't remember. But um, it was someone from Boulet Brothers Dragula, and they they were like the first person in the first drag queen in the states to start putting together these like drag shows. And I remember I was there for the first one. I was like, "This is such a hot mess. I love every fucking minute of it." <laughs> and then and then fast forward two months later, I'm like, "This is so fucking produced. <laughs> this is a well oiled machine." <laughs> And I was like, this is, yeah, this finally, you know, we're taking advantage of the fact that we have all of this technology to do live streaming and stuff. And I guess we just, we just, you know, we're so in the mindset that certain things needed to be done in certain ways, certain things needed to be produced, you know, put together live and in physical spaces in certain ways. So um, speaking of which, I want to ask you, how was producing Outsider and doing a whole sort of virtual festival? Um, well, I mean, it, it was, I will say, a really great experiment in the end. Um, I never really had any ambitions or would have, other than COVID, wanted to create an online festival, but it created an interesting sort of challenge to think about how to translate what we do in physical space to the online space. And so for a one, for, for doing it for one year, <laughs> it, um, it was kind of fun almost, right? To kind of figure out how to put these pieces together and make it work. And I'm actually extremely 
proud of the festival because we had so many obstacles in our way, not just figuring out this kind of new digital landscape, but as we know, funding for the arts was completely depleted by COVID in various ways. We also here in Texas had a snowpocalypse that happened the week right. from the festival, which was like the worst snowstorm oh. experience of in Austin history and people were without power and heat for days. It was like really terrible. Yeah. And that was that happened like the week of what our festival was scheduled. And so we had to reschedule it. So like we had so so many like obstacles and traumas in the way. So when I look back at the past festival, I'm just really like proud of the team and proud of like what we were able to still do despite it all. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I mean, for me, it, it is a challenge because for, as a curator, as a programmer, and specifically thinking about my vision for Outsider, the top of my list is always the space that we're in. And one of the reasons that we have used the Vortex and previously used Savage Vanguard Theater as our one and only space is that it creates a certain kind of intimacy to have a different shows happening in one space where everybody gathers, right? There's a bar there, there's food there, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's for me, Outsider, yes, is about the art obviously, right? and But it's also, and even maybe more so in certain ways, what happens in between the shows and the conversations that happen and the connections that happen, you know, after people see stuff and then they go out and get a drink at the bar or they hang out and they talk and then they wait for the next show to happen. Mm-hmm. And that you just, there's no way to really reproduce that particular experience online. And so that right. was, I think, the biggest loss and challenge and that i feel like that component is so much of the core of what outsider is that intimacy and that effective relationship that can't be reproduced well one of the things that stood out to me is when i was i came down to perform i guess it was in 2015 y'all were doing these couch conversation things within your house which is like having y'all come over now we're gonna have some we're gonna have some little bread breakfast some coffee and you would just invite all these people into your home to sort of sit around a, a very cozy couch-centered area and listen to artists kind of have a conversation about what they were doing, or it was kind of topic-oriented, I think. Yeah, yeah, and that that the conference on the couch, which was going every year until this past year, is really much is very much the heart of what Outsider is about, and what I was mm. just talking about, right? Is that sense of like real close knit community that feels like family because we're literally inviting people into our living room <laughs> and we're all just spread out, you know, on the couch eating tacos and talking about art and, and queerness in various ways. Um, of course that would be at the top of the list of like COVID super spreader uh, kinds of events mm, because it yeah. is like, people crammed into this small space all close together, right? Um, So yeah, so that is... Oh, good. Well, I was going to say, but instead, for instance, with this last year's festival, um, you know, we did a legacy on legacy kind of, um, uh, you know, historical highlights, right? We had these different artists um, 
you know, curated to have a conversation. Um, and funny enough, like when they first joined, they thought they were in a green room. So they just started chatting like they were in a green room and it ended up being this conversation that was very intimate, even though it was happening over a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> and it was fun. <laughs> it was really like a special conversation. So I think, I think some of those ideas translated but also mm-hmm. changed and morphed into something. So the intimate, yeah. you know, living room set became a virtual mm-hmm. green room space where these people were just having these conversations, maybe not thinking about how many people are listening in and, and whatever. They're just kind of having this intimate exchange amongst each other. Um, yeah. And that's when I think it's, it was helpful that, you know, Outsider was not a new organization. And last year was really about, calling in our friends, right? So people that already had a relationship with outsiders. So like it could feel a little more family, a little more um, intimate and and together, like rather than inviting new artists who, you know, are just being introduced to outsider through this, through the screen. Right. Yeah. I was in a conversation with buddies in bad times. You're you're familiar with them, right? Up in Toronto Mm -hmm. um, about, possibly doing something with their festival and what they wound up doing with their festivals, they made a book instead, like Mm -hmm. a book of um, sort of documented photographed um, sort of a hybrid of different forms. Um, But it was actually a publication that was their festival. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. This is new. People, I guess we're just coming up with new ideas all over the place. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think, um, you know, first of all, I do think, queers in general have been good at using technology and figuring out ways to use technology to their advantage. Like I read this article once about like Grindr, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one even thinks about like these dating apps that exist now about how queer communities first use them. I mean, like there was a piece of, you know, a piece of technology. And of course they figured out a way to like make it like a hookup, you know, kind of scenario. But Mm -hmm. I do think, um, you know, we don't think of platforms like Zoom calls as being spaces of art exploration performance, yet we were able to do that with some of these like one-on-one scenarios, you know, or um, we even had something that we were calling kind of like the the um, Zoom roulette, right? Like you were just kind of like jumping in to different scenes that we were going to show you of what was mm-hmm. happening in these different breakout kind of <laughs> rooms. And very so, porny. Right. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think there's something really like, there was something fun about that, that I think people uh-huh. had been living on these platforms, not thinking of the possibilities. And I was really proud of us for exploring it as possibilities, which is what queer people do all the time. Right. So, um, yeah. so for me, there was a pivot there in terms of, oh, we're actually exploring things that we probably wouldn't have if it weren't for this current circumstance and situation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're maybe discovering some new things here that we didn't realize we were going to in the process of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think along with that, right, queers are used to, right, making things work, you know, making something out of nothing, turning scraps into, like, gorgeous art, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like we've been under-resourced, um, mm-hmm. undervalued, right, um, et cetera, right? And had to, like, sort of make do with nothing. And, like, that's, like, I feel like that's the queer art par excellence is, right? Mm-hmm. Doing something out of nothing. 
And I kind of noticed that too, right? That a lot of the organizations that arts organizations that I feel like were able to best pivot and respond to COVID were often queer organizations because I feel like we develop some of those skills in ways that other organizations or people maybe haven't. Mm-hmm. Survivors. Yeah. yeah. Audience yeah. of one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so true though. I mean, who's, if you, what do you think of innovation? You think of queer people, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> those drag queens getting up there and like, well, we're, we're going to use zoom now for drag totally. performances and you're yeah. all going to tip us through PayPal and Venmo and you know, yeah. Yeah. Like even yeah, what I mean, is like, that platform? Of- Twitch. Like, Twitch. Twitch and I'd like never heard of that before yeah. before that I think it had been like a gaming platform it's a gaming platform so like oh, who okay. would think of using a gaming platform like of course a bunch of queer drag queens <laughs> yeah and it was I mean it was just to think about that evolution there got to a point where I was just like Okay, these queens have full multimedia shows. Like they're using green screens. They're like putting themselves in fucking Iceland and they're in their living room. I was like, what the fuck is happening? It looked, some of these performances were so innovative and good by the end of it. I was like, you don't see this type of shit happening in really good films. I mean, it's just like, it was insane. I mean, one of our, one of our, um, you know, some, some performers from Toronto named Hot Nuts, who we've brought down to Outsider, you know, and been friends of ours for a really long time. Like they did a show and it was like mind blowing. Like the whole show was them in an airport lounge, <laughs> like the whole time. And like you're waiting for something to happen. It's like, no, they're just in the airport lounge, just right, like talking right. and chatting the whole time. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, and it was on Twitch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know, you know, speaking of Zoom and speaking of thinking about Zoom as, you know, a platform that can, you know, exist as other things other than just, you know, your usual conference, the at the top of the pandemic, it was like a month later when things had shut down, probably in April 2020, Ron, Ron Athey invited me to do this seven hour opera on zoom and that was my my first foray into like even thinking about oh look what you can do with zoom we had like i think there was there was almost 200 performance performers from all over the world performing simultaneously over over seven hours it was absolutely insane wow (laughs) yeah so you have a call going on right now for outsider until when until October 1st. Okay. Can you give your spiel about it? Because because this will come out before then. So people will have time to be able to get their sure, applications yeah. and info in. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, so October 1st is the deadline for submissions. We accept any and all art forms. And in fact, always looking for innovations that are you know, crossing disciplines or doing something new. Um, It's free to apply. It's a pretty simple application that you just kind of enter some basic information and and you can include um, images or audio files or videos if you have them. And you can get that at our website, which is outsiderfest.org. Our theme for this coming year is Unplugged. Precisely because we were on online last year. 
and we've all been online um that we are pulling the plug on that and wanting to get back to that in person intimacy (laughs) it's obviously also a reference to mtv unplugged 90s we're gonna have like kind of a 90s aesthetic to our design this year as well so yeah please submit if you're an artist uh, if you're a queer artist and um, are interested in coming to Austin, we'd love to hear from you. Well, thank the both of you very much for coming on and having a conversation and doing this. And it was so great to see you both again. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Hmm. Well, hi, Rachel. Welcome. To the Hell. chaos. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for inviting me uh, to be a part of this. I'm yeah, excited. thanks for taking thanks for taking the time to do this. My pleasure. Um, would you introduce yourself to everybody? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Rachel Britton. Um, I am a queer artist, uh, a trombone slinging drag performer that makes freaky art. Uh, and I sew, and I have many different things that I like to dabble in. So, uh, but you saw my work through queer art, right? Or how did you, how did you find my work? I believe so. I'm just also a really good Instagram stalker. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, don't, do not underestimate my ability to stalk bitches on Instagram. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, I'm honored. I'm honored to be a part of the stalking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And your hair is just this gorgeous sort of aquamarine, sea, sea-like sea color, and I love it. Oh, thank you so much. I used to have it lime green, um, and then I was like, I'm going to switch it up. So I tr- I do in the blue, and then after I get bored of it, I'll probably go to purple or shave it or whatever. Now, what do, you, what do you use like the, to, to dye it different colors? Uh, like what, what brand? Sure. We'll give a plug. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, my, my hairstylist uses Pulp Riot. Uh, she's one of the, she's like a brand rep for them. So, and she does a damn good job. Her name is pigment of your imagination on Instagram. She is amazing. Her name's Brittany Sky crushes it. Um, so she does my hair uh, and she bleaches the F out of it and uh, uses Pulp Riot pigments and does a good job for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, see, I asked because back in my day, we only had one and I think it was Manic Panic. Well, oh. you got your, your choice of Manic Panic or your Kool-Aid. You yes. use Kool-Aid. Yeah, yes. that's about it. Oh my gosh, yes, that's great. Yeah, I remember yeah. one of my sisters in, in middle school definitely definitely tinted her hair with, with some red Kool-Aid back in the day. Good, good shit. Um, Which, you know, I'm sure just came off all over your pillowcases and your sheets and especially if you were dying in any type of fruit punch color it probably looked like a like a kill room (laughs) (laughs) it's bound to happen yeah totally well even this blue definitely uh comes off a little bit but blue seems to bleed a lot more than other other colors at least in my opinion right yeah 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 like i said i i am an instagram stalker (laughs) um and i I came across um, I, I came across uh, I think a set of photographs called 
dysmorphia, mm -hmm. which is a series of photographs that I believe was being um, presented as part of queer art. Was it the queer art um, Instagram handle? Yeah. Yep. Right. Which I just just found really arresting and 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 very compelling and and just the the use of like color and light and and these like intertwining bodies and things. It just I just thought really fascinating. Thank you so much. Uh, an interesting fact about me, I'll uh, this ties into my art, but I am I have an identical twin and a fraternal triplet. So um, hmm. I have this really interesting experience of like like i feel i don't always feel like an individual i feel like this like group thing i feel like we're like this collective thing or like if i'm talking to people i live with my identical twin and mm -hmm. sometimes when i'm talking to people i'll be like oh yeah like we blah 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 or like that's really cool for us like i'll speak even though i'm by myself i speak as though we're both there so um I've had this relationship with multiplicity and so I conjoin all these different body parts in my photographs uh, because of that, that relationship, you know, like that, that inspires me to, to communicate that relationship into my work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So now I uh, wait, I have to think for a second. So <laughs> I get, I get twin, but fraternal triplet. That's what you said, right? Yes. Yes. So ex could so, you just explain that a little yeah, bit to me? Like, <laughs> yeah. So uh, my identical twin and I were in like one egg or one sack or whatever the right. whatever the science is. And then our brother Cody was in a separate thing. So like we still were all born together. So that's why he's still right. our, our okay. triplet. But he was in a separate like container <laughs> he was in a separate right, shell okay. or egg or whatever whatever it is so kaylee and i are twins we're identical twins because we were in the same thing but then cody was a separate thing if that makes sense totally yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of us running right. around on this earth yeah um well sorry yeah to uh actually answer your question so um I started making, I started photographing back when I was in middle school, like just a really long time ago, but I had always been pretty creative, like through elementary school and stuff. Um, but I remember in middle school, I was messing around with like, like pick monkey or photo bucket and like edit crudely editing self portraits to like, you know, make my skin look really pale or like make my neck really long, just like weird little uh -huh. things like that. Um, and then, um, kind of dabbled with it throughout high school but then um started getting more serious about photography at the end of high school and then in college started pursuing it as my career and um the whole dysmorphia series came about because that was my senior thesis project that i worked on um so we had at the end of you know the four-year program we had a big exhibition and a big project that we had to work on. So mm -hmm. dysmorphia was my uh, little brainchild. Um, and essentially I was going through a lot of issues with body dysmorphia at the time. And photography just seemed the best way for me to like process that. And, and um, um, yeah, I guess process is the best way of putting it. So 
Um, I started that body of work and primarily it was me modeling in most of the photos. Um, and I made seven images for my senior thesis and each of them had maybe like 10 to 20 separate images put together in each one. Um, and then after I graduated college, I didn't do any, I made no art for like a whole year. And then, um, in 2020, I was like, Hey, I need to get back into this. Um, cause I feel like dysmorphia is like, I've realized that that is this body of work that I really, really need to focus on. Like I have all these other things I dabble in, but this is really this thing that I need to keep cranking out. Um, but last year, uh, I decided I was going to have an art show at uh, a friend's gallery in my city that I live in. And I was like, hey, I need to have a bunch of new work for this. So I started working on this dysmorphia series, kind of like the second stage of it. And that stage was focused more on um, like erotic BDSM themes and finding different ways to further alter the body instead of just photoshopping things. Um, mm -hmm. using accessories and, and different spaces and whatnot in the kink community to, to further modify the body. And now I'm kind of on this dysmorphia 3.0 phase mm -hmm. where I think it's, it's even more of an extension of that, where I'm, I'm trying to find even more accessories and, and odd things to extend the body with and just mm -hmm. incorporate more of, of the erotic erotic kinky fetishy things into my work so yeah i love that you share that this was a part of your your senior um thesis in undergrad yeah yep because it's so impressive i mean that oh. just to see um that dysmorphia series it's just like a really impressive it has such a specific point of view um and and what really draws me to it is is not only like all of these multiplicities of shapes happening and kind of like you're you're kind of like as you look at it more and and kind of in a different angle like you you kind of can uncover a little bit more what's going on but it's like this impressive um, use of really bold color. Oh yeah, that is my shtick. <laughs> yeah. that's my thing. Yeah. Uh, I have always been really, really drawn to vibrant colors. And I don't I don't know why, but it just always caught my eye. And so uh, when I started photographing that series, I think I dabbled with, you know, more neutral toned images and whatnot. And then I was like, no, the the colors is where it's at. And um, the color, the vibrant colors to me reflects um what's what might be up here up in your head but isn't physically there if that makes sense so it's kind of a representation of like of the human mm -hmm. psyche or things that are tangible but not necessarily seen if that makes sense yeah the kind of an alternate then, reality or something yeah and then that continues that 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 use of color continues through your other series as well and i guess i guess it's the 2.0 which i was looking at which contains some of the kink images like pup play and bdsm and and there's there's rope and bondage mm -hmm. and like there's also sort of i i believe i saw piercing and yeah 
So those are actually, those are just, I kind of call those just a part of my like play series. Those oh, okay. aren't necessarily <laughs> a part of the dysmorphia series, but like, obviously it's all erotic and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Now you said you continued, um, I believe it's the dysmorphia series where you said you started going into like a, a version 2.0 in 2020. <laughs> yeah. And I was wondering if that was if if that was pandemic era and like if if the pandemic um did anything to inform your work or maybe change the way you approach work or maybe uh, uh, you began. You found you began to work in a sort of different way. I'm just. I'm just curious how how artists have been like experiencing their work through the pandemic. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I started photographing the second part of dysmorphia. Um. At the beginning of 2020, and I think I maybe had photographed like four or five pieces because I was preparing for this art show that I was working on. It was going to be in April last year, but then COVID hit. So we had to scrap the art show. Um, and then once we got used to everything going on, then I had it in October last year. So it actually gave me more time to work on these new pieces. So I'm actually thankful for that. Um, but yeah, once once COVID hit, obviously we're all stuck inside for the most part. And I, uh, at that time I started photographing a lot of self portraits, um, because I was very isolated and, um, that was kind of my way of, of processing some like inner anxiety and whatnot. Um, I also, at the time I was very, uh, I was listening to maybe too much true crime stuff. (laughs) So, oh, I hear that. Yes, yes. Uh, I, <laughs> I was, believe everyone's going to murder me all the time. Yes, straight <laughs> up. So I was listening to a lot of shit like that. And um, yeah, being stuck inside mm. all the time uh, was it wasn't great, but it, it did influence a lot of my work. So I started making a lot of self-portraits and um, just dabbling a lot with just just seeing how I can alter myself digitally. Um, and then as for dysmorphia, uh, yeah, I was a lot more careful about who I was photographing with or making sure I wasn't photographing in giant groups of people. Or if I was, then that, you know, I was always wearing a mask and, and, you know, trying to clean, clean and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the biggest goal for me is I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize, um, my own experience with body dysmorphia and who other people model for this series too. And they, I think they resonate with it and they, they get what I'm throwing down. So, um, I like to mess around with the body and morph it and distort it, alter it, uh, as a way of, um, communicating like the repetitive thoughts and behaviors that comes with body dysmorphia. So, um, Hmm. I also really like just, I just really like making really trippy stuff. So, um, the multiplicity really lends well to that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's coming up for you? 
Oh boy, so many things. Uh, oh yeah, we love to hear it. Oh yeah, let me give you my itinerary. I've got lots of exciting <laughs> stuff coming. So please take me on a tour. Yes. All right. Uh, let me think. So uh, I actually might be going to Ohio um, tomorrow or Friday because I have an art show at Manifest Gallery that I got into. One of my dysmorphia mm-hmm. pieces is in it. Um, so that's a show that I have in September. Um, I have so many shows in September. Um, I'm also an art prize in Grand Rapids. That's uh, where I reside. Um, so I'm in art prize. I've got a couple dysmorphia pieces there. Uh, so that's like mid September. And then um, I'm currently in a show uh, at the Urban Institute for Contemporary Art uh, in Grand Rapids here as well. Uh, and I have four dysmorphia pieces and a video that I made. Uh, so that is that exhibition is open right now. Um, and the reception is September 9th, five to 7 PM. So I have that <laughs> come in too. Uh, I also have a lot of merch that I've been working on. So I have, uh, lots of different shirts that I'm messing around with. Um, I've got zines for sale, blah, blah, blah. I'm just trying to find more ways to get my work out there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And then I'm also selling work through queer art. So, um, they have their digital print and book fair. Um, so I'm a part of that and that ends in the middle of August. So yeah. So I've got a lot cool. of shows coming up and that's, uh, I really love doing art shows. I really, really do. So I'm very excited about all those. Will you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can buy things, where they can they can fall into the um, fantastical of your photography? Yes, I love a good plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we're here for. We, yeah, plug we it. Love it. Uh, yeah, so you can buy my merch uh, through. It's the I have a little link tree in in the link of my Instagram instagram bio but also on my website under the shop tab um so my instagram is uh at r-a-c-b-r-i-p-h-o so it's supposed to be rachel britton photo but you know just short and sweet i don't know how i pronounce that rack briefo i don't know rich you know what i mean (laughs) uh so that and then on my website too is racbriph.com or rachelbrittonphoto.com um there's a shop tab and that has my thread list my etsy my the queer art thing um uh oh and i just remembered i am also um currently in a magazine it's called paraphilia collective and they are based in the uk which is really, really dope. And they, um, it's run by this guy named Connor and he just makes these, he, he does a really good, um, design for these magazines, but it's, it's just, a, a BDSM mm-hmm. fetish magazine with all these incredible artists. So I'm very happy to be a part of that. So that's another thing that you can buy on my, on my yeah. shop thing. Shout out to our kinksters across the pond. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yeah. It's also uh, what's interesting is uh, kink and BDSM stuff was something that I was always really interested in, but didn't know how to explore it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started it was 20 it was like 29 or maybe early 2020 or like early 2019 or something. But I started to meet people 
um, and photograph. And so that was kind of my way of like dipping my toes in without actually doing any of it. You know, I was able to be a voyeur without actually performing any of these things. Um, and over time, especially after this um, dysmorphia series, now that I've photographed a ton of people doing all this wild stuff, uh, it's just it's just been really interesting. And uh, I'm super fascinated by it. And I love practicing BDSM. And uh, I don't know. It's just cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah, I've. I've definitely come at a lot of things as first witness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and like and then and then diving in. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. 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 It, 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 photography is just kind of my it's it's my way of it's I have a nice guard up because hey, I'm the photographer, I'm here to photograph, but I'm also mm -hmm. here to watch and learn and um to experience whatever it is that I'm photographing. Um so I'm really I'm really quite lucky that I've had so many people who are willing to open up and and to show me these things and allow me to document them, because I think that's the most important job is that I'm I'm documenting these things that, you know, years later, um, people are going to be able to study and, and I don't know, learn about, mm -hmm. I guess. Well, thank you so much for having a chat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other like little weird things. No, nope. <laughs> no more little weird things. No more. Yeah, little weird things to to plug. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, and and definitely everyone, you has to go and check out your clowning trombone solos on Instagram, which I absolutely I'm in love with. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have I have a blast doing that. That's kind of one of those weird like things that whenever I have a little free time, I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get into drag and play trombone. Why not? It's fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you an LGBTQ plus identified individual that has a humorous story of failure? Attempted a pandemic hobby that didn't go as planned? A witch whose spell brought unexpected results? Tried cooking a new dish for a dinner party that veered horribly off course? Queer Chaos Podcast wants to hear from you. At this show, we rally around the queer art of failure and experiments that didn't quite make it. Email your funny trips down the tried it lane to queerchaospodcast at gmail.com and your story might land right here on our little show. Please include a first name you'd like to be known by and the city town you're located in. We won't share any other information. We ain't trying to dox a bitch. And please make it a story and not just the result. Like, my cat puked on my date. Queer Chaos is hosted and co-produced by me, John Malitris, and recorded at House of Pod in Denver, Colorado. Our podcast cover art was created by Evan Lorenzen, who you can find on the Instagrams at Art and Such Evan. That's A-R-T-A-N-D-S-U-C-H-E-V-A-N. Evan is also an amazing tattoo artist based in Denver, so check them out. You can find Queer Chaos on Instagram at Queer Chaos Podcast and online at QueerChaosPodcast.com. If you have some coins you could throw our way, we are on the Patreon, which is linked through our website, QueerChaosPodcast.com. Those coins go to monthly studio fees, website, and admin upkeep. And don't forget to send us your stories to QueerChaosPodcast at gmail.com. Until next show, embrace the queer chaos.